Well, if you would, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua in chapter 5. The book of Joshua in chapter 5. So beginning in the 8th century BC, it became customary for the ancient Greeks and their predecessors to consult the oracle at Delphi before undertaking any great project. Uh, An older woman was chosen by the local peasants in that city for her moral goodness to serve as the oracle. And she would sit on a kind of tripod seat in the temple of Apollo. Uh, Before the seat where she sat was this great chasm. And the people believed that Apollo had slain Python, the great serpent god who lived in the center of the earth. And supposedly, the decomposing body of the great Python is what caused fumes to come up out of the earth through this chasm, causing the oracle who sat there to fall into a trance and to speak ecstatic speech. This ecstatic speech was said to be prophecies from Apollo. And priests who served in the temple would interpret the strange utterances of the oracle and tell whoever was visiting the temple the answer to their question. Now, Apollo was said to only dwell in his temple for certain months of the year. Uh, From November to February, the colder months, Apollo was said to leave town, and so the oracle would close up shop. So you can imagine how frustrating and somewhat embarrassing this was when the son of Philip of Macedon showed up at the oracle with 40,000 soldiers in his wake seeking a word from Apollo before he was to go off into battle. He arrived in early November Uh, Probably just after the last showing, the closed sign was on the door. Uh, His desire was to invade Persia, but like all good Greeks, he wanted to know first, what would the oracle say? Well, the temple guard at the door told him to come back in February. And the young commander pleaded with him and said, no, we've come all this way. I have all these men. We're on our way to this invasion And the guard said, I'm sorry, come back again in February. You you must go home. Well, Philip's son would have none of it. He stormed past the guard into the temple. He found the prophetess, and according to the story, he grabbed her by her hair and began forcibly dragging her to the sacred altar. And in her outrage, as she was being dragged, she cried out something like, You're invincible, which probably meant something like you're impossible. But this commander took it to mean that he was impossible to defeat. He stopped. He smiled. He declared he needed no other prophecy from the oracle that this one was enough. And with that, Alexander the Great left the oracle at Delphi and led his men to conquer the Persians. Tutored by Aristotle as a young man, 
given charge of an already well-trained military and certainly gifted with a creative and ingenious mind, Alexander the Great conquered a massive swath of the ancient world. He created an empire that stretched from northern Africa to India and all before the age of 32 when he would die. Uh, Legend says that Alexander wept because there were no more worlds left for him to conquer. And in all his years, he never lost a battle. Now, almost everyone agrees that Alexander was truly one of the greatest commanders to ever live. And beside him, we would put Hannibal and perhaps Napoleon. This morning, we're going to meet another commander. Uh, This commander makes the Alexanders of history look weak and frail in comparison. Uh, This commander appears almost out of nowhere to Joshua just before Joshua is to lead the people of Israel in the conquest of the promised land, the conquest of Canaan. God had promised that he was going to bring judgment on these Canaanite peoples because of their gross immorality, because of all their sin. And now the time of judgment had come. And it was going to start with a city called Jericho. And so here we are at the very beginning of the conquest, and Joshua has this encounter with this great commander. So look with me at verses 13 through 15, beginning in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, A man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So here's Joshua. He's now the new leader of the people of Israel. He's got some large shoes to fill because Moses has now died. And Joshua has a great God-given project in front of him. God has called him to lead the people of Israel in conquering and settling the land of Canaan. But he's not just to conquer. Israel is to be God's agent of judgment on the Canaanites. Um, Just to remind you, I mean, the Canaanites, these these are people who set up altars Shaped in, in um, like men's genitalia all over the land. And people would go to these pillars and they would commit uh, all sorts of immoral acts. And this was the way that they worshipped their pagan gods. This was the way that they tried to um, convince the gods to make their crops grow or to protect their health. Uh, they participated in all sorts of drunkenness and debauchery. And what's more, they even participated in child sacrifice. 
offering up their children to these gods in burnt offerings. God had told Abraham 400 years before that this time was coming. That he would eventually use Abraham's descendants as to bring judgment on the Canaanites. And so now that's the mission that Joshua has been given. And let's be clear. No other nation can claim a divine mandate to destroy other peoples in this way. Only ancient Israel had the true God as their covenantal national king. The only thing that even comes close today is that kingdom of which ancient Israel was a shadow, namely the true kingdom of God, the church. We have God as our king. And we have been given a mission not of military destruction. We have not been given a mission of genocide. We have been given a mission of mercy. Popes used passages like this to justify the Crusades. Hitler used passages like this to justify his extermination of the Jews. But these men were twisting the scriptures Um, And and they show the terrible consequences that can result when the Bible is mishandled and not interpreted rightly. The conquest of Canaan was absolutely just and righteous, and yet there are no grounds whatsoever for any other of God's people to go and do likewise. Now, that said, Joshua himself is a picture of Jesus In fact, his name in the Hebrew is the form of the name Jesus. Uh, Jesus in Greek is Yeshua in Hebrew, Joshua. And Joshua, like Jesus, is to lead God's people into the promised land, utterly destroying the works of darkness and the evil as he goes along, ridding the land of wickedness. And so we have this picture of the fact that Jesus will one day lead his people in judgment upon the whole earth. We're told that all evildoers will be judged and eternally cast out, that this world will be cleansed and made new, and it will become the true promised land on which Christ will live with his people forever. And so the book of Joshua is in many ways deeply prophetic and teaches us even about what's to come with the second Joshua. But... Here is the first Joshua, and he's thinking about Jericho. That's stop one on his mission. And he looks up and he sees this man. And certainly this is the language of a theophany, right? An appearance of God. Uh, We're told that Joshua lifted up his eyes and behold. Um, this This was the way that biblical writers marked something extraordinary. It's the same thing as us saying, look. Right? Pay attention to this. And behold, here was something unusual. Here was this man, clearly a warrior, clearly someone of great valor, and his sword is drawn and in his hand. There's a big difference between the sword being sheathed at your side, and here's a man and his sword's out. Right? And Joshua goes to meet him, being bold and courageous like he'd been taught to do. Right? And he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? The answer, no. (laughs) Isn't that great? Are you for us or them? No. 
but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. In other words, Joshua, I'm not against you, but I'm also not for you as if I'm coming to serve alongside you or as if I'm going to serve underneath you. No, no, no. You serve under me. Joshua thought he was the commander of the Lord's army. Uh, Going all the way back to the book of Exodus, whenever we've seen Israel fighting, it's been Joshua leading the people of God in military battles. Joshua is always portrayed as the head of the army of Israel. But this man comes and says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, now I have come. In other words, at this moment, when the conquest is about to begin, He has come. He has come to show the divine authorization of the judgment about to take place on these peoples. And he's come to strengthen Joshua for this momentous task by showing him the wonderful truth that there is a greater commander than he. That there is an army bigger than the one that Joshua knows. And that it will be in the might of this great commander that the victory will come. It's almost certainly a pre-incarnation appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We took time in our study of Exodus and uh, other uh, parts of the Old Testament in the past to try and prove uh, that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that Joshua fell on his face and worshipped this man. So it cannot be an angel like Michael or Gabriel. Uh, God's people are forbidden to worship angels We are only to worship God and God alone. And yet when Joshua falls on his face in worship, this commander doesn't say, don't do that. He receives the worship. Uh, Just to drive the point home, the commander actually says, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. Well, We've heard that before, haven't we? Um, Joshua certainly knows that story. It's part of that book of the law which he was commanded to meditate on day and night. Joshua knows how Moses, his predecessor, was once a shepherd and he was in the Sinai desert and how one day Moses was caring for Jethro's sheep near the mountain and suddenly he lifted up his eyes and he beheld something spectacular. But in his case, it was God calling out to him from a burning bush. And what did God say there? Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. So it was there at the burning bush that the great I am, Yahweh, spoke to Moses and gave Moses his great mission. And here, the great I am is speaking again. This commander of the Lord's army must also be in some way God himself delivering to Joshua his marching orders. Um. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the commander of the Lord's army. Uh, Hebrews 2.10 calls Jesus the captain of our salvation. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning as we prepare for the Lord's table is I want us just to think about the glory of Christ as the commander of the Lord's army. And just two headings, we'll do this briefly. Two headings as we think about Christ as the commander of the Lord's army. Number one, What is this army, right? The army of Jesus. And second, we'll think about the authority of Jesus. 
So first, the army of Jesus. Who is this army that Jesus has command of? Here in Joshua's day, it certainly included the people of Israel, and particularly the fighting men of Israel. This commander had the right to say to Joshua, you're fighting for me, and you're going to do what would I say. And these people were to fight in faith. The men of Israel were to fight, not trusting in their own strength or their own power or their own military prowess. They were to fight knowing the power of their God. In fact, throughout the book of Joshua, the men of Israel will regularly go up against foes who are much mightier than they. And they will use their swords and they will use their bows to carry out the Lord's mission. But it will not be the strength of their swords or the accuracy of their bows that make the difference. Similarly, the New Testament teaches us that we who are Christians belong to the Lord's army. But our battle is different because the kingdom we belong to is different. Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. The only reason the book of Joshua and the conquest of Israel took place was to help bring about in the plan of God this other kingdom, this higher kingdom, this spiritual kingdom. And as members of this kingdom, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Mount Hermon, the Christian life is a life of warfare in which Jesus is working through his people to overcome darkness and to rescue people from their captivity to sin. Paul liked to refer to his fellow ministry partners as fellow soldiers. Let me ask you, do you see yourself as a soldier? Do you think of yourself as a soldier in Christ's army? Do you see yourself as one of the Lord's troops, having been given a specific mission, right? Think about our U.S. military. There are so many different kinds of roles in the U.S. military. Well, so also, we all have different callings that God has given us. God has put different vocations or different callings into your life. But every one of them, you are to fulfill as one of the soldiers of Christ. But of course, the army of the Lord includes more than just people. Both in Joshua's day and in ours, there's a whole other race of beings, angels, who are under the command of our Lord. Uh, This is at least partly what is meant when we call Christ the Lord of hosts. Who are these hosts that he is Lord of? Well, it is a host of angels that our Lord Jesus commands. Uh, You remember the story in 2 Kings 6 when the servant of Elisha wakes up in the morning and the city is surrounded by the great army of Syria with all of its horses and all of its chariots. And he cries out to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And you remember Elisha's response. He said, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed for his servant and God opened up the servant's eyes 
so that he could see that with them was a mountain full of horses and chariots all aflame with fire. This was a reminder that Christ commands angel armies. And as you read through the book of Joshua, it's that other army that I think is usually making the difference. Psalm 91:11. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In that one verse alone, we remember that God, through Jesus Christ, commands angels. He will command his angels concerning you. Pastor Merle has been teaching us more about angels on Sunday night, so we won't spend a lot of time here, but isn't it a wonderful thought? Just just those words, that, that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They're called his angels. They belong to him. They do his bidding. They answer to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? We've been learning about angels on Sunday nights. Let me just ask, in our 21st century day and time, do you believe in angels? Do you affirm the Bible on this? Because the Bible has much to say about them. And one of the great blessings we receive when we come to Jesus is the knowledge that those angels are working for our sakes. They're fighting battles under the authority of the commander of the Lord for our sakes. So when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, he is the Lamb of God. Yes, he is the one who was slain. Yes, he is mild and meek and tender. And at the same time, he is the commander of myriads, of myriads of angels. Now, let's consider the authority. The authority of Jesus as the commander of the Lord's army. Though the army of Jesus includes both human and angelic beings, the real power of the army is in its commander. In fact, throughout the book of Joshua, it is clear that the power to overcome evil lies not in the people, but in Jesus himself. So think about Jericho. Stop one. You have Jericho. How are the people of Israel going to conquer this great city? Are they going to come in with their siege works? Right? Is it going to be their uh, sword play that's going to make the difference? Is it? No. They're going to march around the city, which in case you're wondering, has no military benefit whatsoever. Okay? And then they're going to blow ram's horns. That's their plan. It's the Lord's plan. By the way, I guess the ram's horn might might hurt their hearing. Okay? It's not going to have great military benefit. And yet, the army of Israel walks around the city. They blow the ram's horns and the walls fall. How did that happen? Who actually took down the wall? Who caused the stones to crumble? It was the word of the commander. He speaks and the walls fall. This is the same person who at creation spoke and galaxies began to exist. So there's there's no wall too big for the Lord Jesus Christ. But later, we find Israel fighting against the Amorites. And frankly, Israel should have been defeated. Uh, they, They had no business fighting against people so much more powerful than they But Christ calls the sun and the moon to stand still in the sky 
to show that he was the one that was giving the victory. And then hailstones rained down from the sky, and we're told that the hailstones killed many more of the Amorites than all the swords of Israel. Mount Hermon, in our lives, we fight our battles knowing that the victory is ultimately secure because of our commander. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus who loves us. And when he speaks the word, sin will no longer threaten us. When his day of reckoning comes, no power above or below will keep him from fulfilling his promise of establishing us in the promised land. Dear Christian, when you have a commander like this, who has given his loyalty to you, his allegiance to you, not because you deserve it, but in sheer mercy, what have you to fear? What is causing you anxiety this morning? What is causing you distress? See the commander of the Lord's army. Lift up your eyes and behold, he is invincible and all powerful. And though we do not deserve it, he fights for us. His authority is full and complete. It is all authority in heaven and on earth. Meaning there's no authority that exists that doesn't ultimately exist because it is delegated by him. It's all his. No enemy of any kind can stand against King Jesus. Moreover, the command of Jesus is eternal. He'll never be overthrown as your commander. He'll never grow old and weak and have to pass the baton. How can we be sure that heaven will always be a place where there's no more sorrow, sickness, pain, or death? How can you be sure that heaven will always be a place where there is no sin or evil? Our commander will be there. And he will not allow any such thing as that to rear its head in that world to come. Because of the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those things will be an utter impossibility in paradise. Consider the wisdom with which Christ leads us. As a commander, he knows everything he needs to know to ensure the victory. Other human commanders work with the information they can gather. Uh, think about how many times the U.S. military has made some pretty major mistakes because they had faulty information or they had incomplete information. They're always, this is why the, the CIA exists, right? To, to gather more uh, information, to gather more knowledge, to help the military make right decisions. Our commander, he has all the facts. Nothing in this battle against sin against the devil, against the world, nothing will take him by surprise. And with all knowledge of all facts, Jesus then always makes the best decisions, the perfect decisions to bring about a victory in such a way that God will receive maximum glory and you will receive maximum joy as you behold his mercy to you. Maybe you wonder why Jesus doesn't just speak the word and slay anger at your feet. Or maybe for you it's lust. Or greed. Or jealousy. And you think, he, he's got the power. He's the commander. It, just like he spoke in the walls of Jericho. Why, why doesn't he just speak? And I don't have to worry with this temptation anymore. And I won't struggle with this sin anymore. Dear friend, trust your commander. 
you may wonder, why is God allowing me such hardships? Why is God allowing me such anxieties? Why is God allowing me to face such trials in my life? Friend, your sufferings today are temporary. They are not permanent. And on the last day, you will see how all of this has worked in accordance with the wise plans of our commander for the maximum glory of God and your maximum joy in the world to come. Colossians 2 verse 3, In Him, that is Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When the ancient Phrygians were without a king, an oracle told the people to make the next man who came into their city driving an ox cart their king. That man happened to be a peasant named Gordius. And so he comes into town on his cart and they said, you're our king. And he became king. After he died, his son Midas took the throne. And you know some things about this Midas. But Midas dedicated the ox cart that his dad had come into town on and he tied it to a post with a, a knot so complex that supposedly it was impossible to undo. He named it, it became known after his father, Gordius. It became known as the Gordian Knot. A prophecy was spoken that whoever could undo the Gordian Knot and separate that ox cart from the post would one day rule all of Asia. 400 years later, Alexander the Great comes to Phrygia. And there before him is the Gordian knot. And you know, there's all this speculation. Will he be able to unravel it? He wants to conquer Asia. Everybody knows that. right? Will he be able to deal with this knot? And Alexander looks at it. And he examines it. And he takes out his sword. And he just cuts it. And that was his solution. He cheated. Okay. The greatest riddle of all. Touched on this at the end last week. It's the riddle woven into the fabric of our world. How can a holy God be at peace with a sinful humanity? How can a holy God remain just, remain God, remain holy, and yet make sinners his children, make peace with them, and bring them into his glorious presence? When it comes to that knot, the ultimate Gordian knot, Jesus is the wisdom of God. At the cross, representing all who would ever trust in him as their federal head, Jesus took upon himself the wrath their sins deserved. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, Paul says. The guilt of all our sins was placed on the shoulders of Jesus and he bore it completely. He bore it away. He, he satisfied fully the demands of God's justice. And so by faith, when we believe on Christ, we become one with him. His righteousness is accounted to us so that we receive blessings from God we do not deserve, but that Christ earned for us. And yet in this way, all of our sins are still punished. God remains holy. God remains perfect. And yet he is able to welcome and receive sinners. Mount Hermon, when Jesus went to the cross, he did so still as the commander of the Lord's army. But here's the thing. He won the ultimate decisive battle of the war. 
by staying silent. Uh, yes, he could have given the command and a billion angels appeared, dressed for battle and then laid waste. The, the walls of Jerusalem could have been knocked flat in that moment the way the walls of Jericho had been knocked flat years before. Jesus could have spoken the word and the cross would have become a pillow of feathers. He could have come down in vengeance upon the people of Jerusalem. And had he done any of those things, the war would have been lost. It was only by humbling himself and suffering did the commander overcome hell for us and defeat death for us and give Satan the fatal blow. Our commander is the greatest of all because he willingly suffered most of all to bring his people to heaven. And now, as the risen Lord Jesus, he is able to save any and all who will come to him in faith. He has the authority to save. And he has the authority to save even me and even you. Your sins are not too great for him. His sacrifice was sufficient. If you will have Jesus as your Savior and follow Him as your Lord, if you will trust Him to be your shepherd, you will find that everything He endured, He endured for your sake. That the Lord Jesus is full of love and compassion and He delights to use His infinite authority to care for helpless sinners like you and me. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we're to come just as we are. Full of sin, but we're to come in faith. As we take the bread, we are declaring that his body was broken for us. As we take the cup, we're declaring that his blood was shed for us. And we are trusting in Jesus, not our own abilities, not our own prowess, not our own strategies. No, here is our hope of holiness. Here is our hope of heaven. It's our commander. He's all our hope. <laughs> He's all our hope. We receive these elements as though from the hand of Christ himself. They are his promise to us, his guarantee to us of the victory that we will one day experience as we feast with him at the great wedding feast in heaven. As we take the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming our assurance that our commander will indeed lead us to the final victory, that he will bring us through this life of temptation, that he will bring us through death itself, even through the day of judgment, into the great promised land. Do you have that confidence this morning? And do you know what it is to have peace in your heart and security because you know who your commander is? Let's pray.